Well, today we are uh, beginning a new sermon series on a topic that I'm going to guess that you have never even heard an entire sermon devoted to, uh, almost certainly never heard an entire series devoted to. Today we're beginning a three-week series titled, Entrepreneurship, Glorify God, Bless People. This is such a different topic than what I've ever heard and probably what you've ever heard in church that I am guessing that some of you uh, might even be tempted uh, to tune out, thinking that the focus is too narrow or it doesn't apply to you because you're not an entrepreneur or maybe that it's not a spiritual enough topic because you're super spiritual and this isn't a spiritual enough topic for you. But I hope that you uh, won't do that. You see, there's going to be good stuff in this series uh, for everyone. And at the heart of the series, especially in weeks two and three, is going to be the theme of learning to trust God, which of course is applicable uh, to everybody. I'm excited about this series in part because we are going to hear uh, some new voices from the pulpit uh, during this series. They're members of our congregation, just, uh, just new to, uh, to preaching and sharing uh, from the pulpit. So over the next two weeks, uh, two men in our church who are entrepreneurs will be teaching uh, as part of this series. Next week, Rob Sexton is going to be teaching on what entrepreneurship taught me about faith. And then in two weeks, Jeremy Nestor is going to be teaching on trusting and honoring God through entrepreneurship. And so I'm excited uh, for these two men to share. And I am asking you, if this is your church home, to please prioritize being here over the next uh, two weeks for a couple of reasons. One is to support two men who are stepping into new roles by uh, teaching uh, during one of our Sunday services. And then the second reason is to benefit from both the biblical and practical wisdom uh, that both of these men bring to this topic. And, and that really they just bring to any topic uh, in general. And so really encourage you uh, to be here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we have a number of entrepreneurs uh, in our church family. And I'm going to mention some of them. I failed to get permission, so I, I hope they don't mind. But if an entrepreneur doesn't like publicity, then I'm not sure what to do for them. So hopefully they won't mind... Uh, Hopefully they won't mind too much. And I, I know I'm not going to get everyone, so my apologies to those of you who I might not mention. But here are some of the entrepreneurs in our uh, church. Larry Endicott uh, has uh, owned and operated Endicott Insurance here in Pataskala for many years. My father, Dana Bird, is uh, retired, although he still finds ways to do this kind of work uh, quite often. But uh, he owned and operated two successful floral businesses uh, first for 10 years in Bexley, and then for, I think, somewhere around 10 years in Lancaster. Uh, Gary Warner uh, owns and operates a Sharper Cut Lawn Care. Jim Bauer uh, has been involved in entrepreneurship for a number of years in his family business. Adam Collins is an entrepreneur running a family business that makes custom tools. Uh, my sister-in-law, Jolene, uh, Jolene and Nathan and, and their family are visiting from Michigan today, and uh, she's an entrepreneur running, owning and operating Red Town Design, a graphic and print media company. And we have another member of our congregation who is in the process of 
of opening up an entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, Steve Kiley is getting close to opening a Duck Donuts franchise in Pickerington. And uh, that, he is hopeful, will be open uh, in November. It could be a little later, depending on contractors and stuff like that. But uh, he's getting ready to open a Duck Donuts franchise, which I'm excited about. And I plan to frequent quite, uh, quite often. And so uh, that will be a lot of fun. So that's a pretty good number of entrepreneurs within our church family. And again, I'm, I'm sure I haven't gotten everyone. And And today, to kick off this series, what I'm going to do is make an appeal for more Christian entrepreneurs. Again, that's a pretty good number for our church family, but I'm going to make the appeal for more, and that is the title of my message. And so I want to start off today by highlighting some entrepreneurs from the Bible, and then I want to share just a few thoughts on why Christians should be entrepreneurs, why it is that we need more Christian entrepreneurs. So let's first consider some entrepreneurs that we see in the Bible. The Bible actually has quite a lot of examples of people who were entrepreneurs, but I want to highlight four of them today. You have scripture references on your outline. We're not going to be reading a text today like we usually do, but those scripture references are on your outline. You can check these out uh, on your own time. The first entrepreneur that I want to highlight is the father of faith. Abraham was an entrepreneur. Genesis 13.2 tells us that Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Genesis 13 lets us know that Abraham had herders who worked for him. So this lets us know it wasn't just Abraham out there, uh, you know, with, with a few livestock, but he had an enterprise going. He had other people working for him uh, in this livestock business. Lot was also, his family member Lot was also a livestock entrepreneur. And we find out in Genesis 13 that both of these men were so successful And their possessions were so great that the land couldn't support both of their enterprises. And so they had to part ways with one another. And so Abraham, the father of faith, was an entrepreneur. We also find in Scripture that the Proverbs 31 woman was an entrepreneur. Consider uh, these verses that tell us about this noble woman, Proverbs 31, 16. She considers a field and buys it, and out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. 31, 18. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp doesn't go out at night. Proverbs 31, 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. And supplies the merchants with sashes. And so we see that the Proverbs 31 woman is involved in multiple entrepreneurial endeavors. And not only does she use her profit to expand her businesses and make more profit, but if you read through 31, what you find in verse 20, if you read through chapter 21 or chapter 31, what you find in verse 20 is this: she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. And so we find that her approach was not profit above all. Her approach was profit in order to bless others. And that's going to be key as we go 
uh, throughout uh, our time together today. Uh, when, when considering her piety, her care for her family, her entrepreneurial endeavors, her generosity to the poor, Proverbs offers the Proverbs 31 woman some very high praise. Verse 28 says, her children arise and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. And so we see in the Proverbs 31 woman a, a person who keeps priorities. She pursues profit, but not at the expense of her family, and, and, and not at the expense of grasping for more and more to the exclusion of those who need help, and it's within her ability to help them. The Proverbs 31 woman is a wonderful example of God-pleasing entrepreneurship. The Apostle Paul was an entrepreneur. Acts 18.3 lets us know he was a tent maker. And, and we know from Scripture that sometimes Paul received financial support from the churches and made his living through the ministry of the Word. But sometimes he did not receive financial support. And during those times, he made his living by tent making. 1 Thessalonians 2.9 tells us about this. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, Paul writes, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden on anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. And so what the apostle Paul did is what each circumstance required. If the churches could afford it, he would receive financial support and entirely devote himself to the teaching of the word. If the church could not afford it, or for some other reason would not provide it, then he would make his living through tent making. And so Abraham, the father of faith, the Proverbs 31 woman, the Apostle Paul, all entrepreneurs that we see in the Scriptures. And then the fourth entrepreneur that I want to highlight from the Scriptures today is Boaz from the book of Ruth. There are several things the book of Ruth tells us about Boaz that paints a really clear picture of God-pleasing entrepreneurship. Ruth 2.1 tells us that Boaz was a man of standing in the community. Some translations say that he was a wealthy and influential man in the community. Ruth 2.3-5 make it clear that his business was agriculture and that he had employees. Again, it wasn't just him. He, he, he had a pretty sizable enterprise going on. Ruth 2.4 lets us know that Boaz invoked the name of the Lord over his business and on behalf of his employees. Just when, uh, here's how it says it, just when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, greeted his harvesters, here's how he greeted them, the Lord be with you. And they greeted back, the Lord bless you. His faith was not something that he kept separate from his business, but his faith was brought into his business. It impacted his business. The Lord's name was spoken in his business and over his employees. 
Ruth 2.9 and 2.22 let us know that Boaz expected proper and virtuous behavior from his employees. We see this in the instruction that he gave his harvesters to take care of Ruth. This young widow, take care of her. Do not harm her. Do not let anything happen to her. And we see it when, when Naomi, her mother-in-law, heard about this. She contrasted the safety that Boaz was providing uh, Ruth to the danger that she would have faced if she had been working in someone else's field. And so this shows that Boaz was operating his business in a very different way than others of the time were. Ruth would not have been safe working in their fields, but she was safe because Boaz demanded this kind of behavior from his employees. We see in Proverbs 2, 15 and 16 that Boaz, like the Proverbs 31 woman, used his prophets to bless those in need. Here's how he instructed his men to take care of Ruth. Beyond her safety, here's what he said to them. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her and the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So, so essentially he's saying, as you're harvesting this stuff, let some stuff fall to the wayside that Ruth can pick up and don't say anything to her about it. Don't tell her she's, she's hurting your bottom line. She's hurting your yield today. Just let her have some of the harvest. And then finally in Ruth 4, 9, and 10, we see that Boaz was a man of productive leadership. He took leadership, uh, I'm sorry, proactive leadership. He took leadership within his community. We see this in Boaz taking leadership to determine which family member was going to step up and, and buy Naomi's property, uh, her family property, and which family member was going to accept responsibility for the care of Ruth, a widow. He was willing to do it, but there was someone else that had a claim to do it, and that person ended up not wanting to do it. But it was Boaz who said, hey, we all need to get our heads together and figure this thing out because we've, we've got a young lady in need that we need to figure out how to take care of. And so when we consider all of these things, Boaz provides a really clear picture of what God-pleasing, God-honoring entrepreneurship looks like. He was wealthy, but he did not have a profit above all approach. Like the Proverbs 31 woman, he had a profit in order to bless others approach. And this is really important to God-pleasing, God-honoring entrepreneurship. We live in a time when profitable businesses will close warehouses, move to another state or another country, sell to the highest bidder who they know is going to lay off half of the workforce or, or lay off the entire workforce, all to secure a couple extra percentage point of profit for arm's distance investors. With no regard for the human cost of the families and the communities who relied upon those businesses, profitable businesses do those kinds of things. The Bible is affirming of profit. The Bible is affirming of market-based economies, but the Bible does not endorse a profit above all 
approach to business. God-pleasing entrepreneurship allows for profits for owners and investors, but requires they treat their employees well and are open-handed with those in need. Amen. God-pleasing entrepreneurship doesn't separate faith from business. It brings faith into business, just like faith is to impact every area of our lives. God-pleasing entrepreneurship is vocal about faith in God. God-pleasing entrepreneurship acknowledges God as the source of all blessings. God-pleasing entrepreneurship invokes the name of the Lord over employees asking God to bless them. God-pleasing entrepreneurship expects and requires honorable conduct from employees, holding them to high standards, expecting them to follow the golden rule and treat with respect each other and their customers. God-pleasing entrepreneurship helps those in need when the opportunity and the means meet. You, You can't help if you don't have it to help with. But when the opportunity and the means meet, God-pleasing entrepreneurship helps those in need. God-pleasing entrepreneurship cares about the community and contributes to the flourishing of the entire community. They, They see how what they do blesses families and then in turn becomes a blessing to the entire community. God-pleasing entrepreneurship pursues profit, but not just to make a few rich, but to bless many. In Boaz, we see what God-honoring entrepreneurship looks like. And here's a really good reason why we need more Christian entrepreneurs, because a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of businesses in general do not operate like what we just talked about. They don't operate like that. Some do, and that's great, but a lot don't. And we need more businesses that operate in God-honoring ways. And so let me share for just a few minutes three reasons why Christians should be entrepreneurs, why we need more Christian entrepreneurs. Here's the first reason. More Christians should be entrepreneurs for the glory of God, because doing business God's way glorifies God. Abraham Kuyper famously said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's mine. It's all mine. For Christians, that includes our vocations. It includes all of our business endeavors. It includes our investing, and it includes the business of entrepreneurs. God looks at all of those activities, and over all of those, he says, they are mine. We're to acknowledge God as Lord over all. We're to seek to live for his glory in every domain of our human existence. Jeremy is going to be teaching two weeks from today, and One of the things I love about Jeremy is he's very public about his company being a Christian company. I I happen to know Jeremy takes great care to treat his employees well. 
to develop their skills, to compensate them well. I know he works very hard to give great service to customers, to deal with them honorably, to do what he says he'll do to deliver great service. When a company is public with being Christian, and then they actually treat people right and act like Christians ought to act, this brings glory to God. When a God-honoring company, when a God-honoring company really is, then what happens is customers contrast them to companies that are not God-honoring, and the God-honoring company brings glory to God. And this applies to every area of human endeavor, not just entrepreneurship, every job, every career. It literally applies to everything we do. Scripture tells us that all of our work is to be done as unto the Lord. And it tells us that everything we do is to be done for the glory of God. And so whatever you do in life vocationally, you are supposed to see that as a way of bringing glory to God. If you're a teacher, it's to be done for the glory of God. If you're a warehouse worker, it's to be done for the glory of God. If you're a student, it's to be done for the glory of God. If you're in management at a large corporation or you work for the state or the federal government, it's to be done for the glory of God. If you're an engineer or a lawyer, it's to be done for the glory of God. Whatever you do, it's to be done for the glory of God. And entrepreneurship is to be done for the glory of God. The second reason we need more Christian entrepreneurs is for the good of people. So first is for the glory of God. Second is for the good of people. You see, doing business God's way blesses people. It blesses employees. It blesses the families of employees. It blesses customers. It blesses suppliers who are thrilled that they have a company that's paying them on time for their supplies. It blesses everybody in the whole process. And it contributes to human flourishing. Some of you have the situation that I'm about to describe, but some of you don't. Wouldn't it be a blessing to work for a company that valued profits, but not above people? That viewed profits as more than to enrich the owner, but as an opportunity to bless employees and families of employees. Now, many entrepreneurial situations are situations where the entrepreneur is the only employee of the company. And that's, that's fine, that's good, that's great. But if there are employees, wouldn't it be great to view profits as a way of blessing your workers instead of just increasing your own wealth? Wouldn't it be great to work for a company where it was okay to pray for a coworker, Or where the owner of the company was willing to pray for you if you were having a difficult day? Wouldn't it be great to be part of a company that worked hard at determining a fair price for a product or service, one that would enable the company to meet its obligations and make a profit, but would also be a good value for the customer. Now, 
I do think that we need to be fair here. There are many businesses and entrepreneurs who are not Christians who do these very things that we're talking about. They are to be commended. But there are certainly plenty of businesses out there that do not operate like this. I hear your stories about them quite frequently. A lot that don't operate like this. Christian businesses should lead the way in caring not just about profit, but about all stakeholders in the whole business process, everybody that intersects with them, employees, customers, investors, suppliers, the community. Christian businesses should be places that desire for everyone that intersects with their business to win. It, it, it's... It isn't how can I win at your expense. It's how can all of us benefit. How can we work this thing out so that all of us are able to win? That, that's what Christian businesses should be about. And so Christians should be entrepreneurs. And we need more Christian entrepreneurs because doing business God's way glorifies God. And doing business God's way blesses people and contributes to human flourishing. And there's one more reason that I believe we need more Christian entrepreneurs that I want to share today. I think we need more Christian entrepreneurs. We need more Christians starting businesses because I think Christian entrepreneurship is going to become more important as Christians become more marginalized in society. Now, we can debate exactly what Romans 13 means. We, I'm sorry, Revelation 13. I'm confusing verses today. Uh, we can debate exactly what Revelation 13 means. You're saying we, we, we could if I knew what, what it says. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you. We, we, can, we can debate when it occurs, all of that. But what Revelation 13 tells us about is a time when people will not be able to buy or sell if they are not a part of the world system. Now, some may believe that this happens after the rapture of the church, so it's not anything we need to talk about. But whatever the debatable points, what I think is relevant for our discussion here today is that Scripture points to a time when disfavored people will not be able to participate in the economy. And let's not pretend these things have not happened throughout history. They have. Believers throughout history have faced these very kinds of circumstances. And these kind of things have happened in our very own country, including during the Jim Crow South, where economic limitations were imposed on black citizens and those limitations necessitated the start of black-owned businesses to provide services that were being denied within the larger economy. And so let's not pretend that this can't happen. It has happened. It's happened to believers at different times throughout history. It has happened in our own country as recently as the 1960s. We also saw during COVID how easily governments can close businesses and curtail the activity of citizens as they choose to do so. Now, it doesn't matter for this acknowledgement whether you agreed with the government's efforts or not. 
you know, most churches were filled with people who agreed with the things the government did and disagreed, others who disagreed. And that's why the last three years have been so much fun in churches. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Woohoo! Lots of fun. Um, but it, it doesn't matter for, for this argument which side of that you were on. You, you saw that government was able to shut things down that they chose to shut down. And, and, and so like we saw, for example, that stores like Kroger and Walmart and, and all of these big box stores remained open while primarily smaller businesses were in many cases forced to close. And so you don't have to have too active of an imagination to anticipate the possibility of there being a time when Christians could be disfavored to the place where at least some limitations were placed on our ability to participate in the larger economy. If that ever happens, I don't know if it will. I'm not predicting that it will. I don't know. But if it ever happens, we'll need Christian entrepreneurs to provide products and services that we're denied, much like black-owned businesses did during Jim Crow. And so this is yet another reason why there is a need for Christian-owned business, Christian entrepreneurship. And so we see entrepreneurship in the Bible. God-pleasing entrepreneurship glorifies God. It blesses people. It contributes to human flourishing. And someday... Christian entrepreneurship could be a means of addressing economic limitations we could face as Christians become more marginalized in society if that were to happen in our context. It is happening to some extent if it ever happened to that extent. For all of these reasons, and of course I've really not even touched on the, the many benefits there can be for the, the entrepreneur himself or herself, but for all of these reasons, we need more Christian entrepreneurs. And so at the end of this series, we're going to offer a couple of opportunities uh, for those who might be interested, who are perhaps considering undertaking entrepreneurial endeavors. One is that Jeremy is planning to make himself available uh, to mentor those considering entrepreneurship. I will tell you there are going to be some minimal requirements to enter into that mentorship program that uh, we'll let you know about as that time arrives. But, but there will be an opportunity to enter into a mentoring relationship if you are interested in that. And another thing that we're considering, I don't think we've uh, fully committed to this yet, but we're considering the possibility of developing a uh, opportunity for entrepreneurs and anyone in business to join together for a monthly luncheon uh, intended just to encourage for, uh, encourage each other, pray for each other, support each other as Christian business people and entrepreneurs. And so what we want to do here at Living Hope Church is encourage and help those who may feel that God is calling them to start a business or they've already started a business. And, and here's why. Here's why. Uh, of all the reasons that I've shared today, here, here's the one that I want to emphasize yet again. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. 
any legitimate human endeavor that exists on this planet, Christians should be looking to bring Christ into that domain. Because Christ looks at it all and says, it's mine. So let's do it for his glory. Why don't you stand?